Well, today is the second Sunday of the season of Lent, uh, and it is also the second installment of our Lenten sermon series, Rescue Me. Now, as we learned last week, uh, Lent, uh, for those of you who may not be aware, is the 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter. Uh, The word Lent is derived from the Latin word for 40, uh, and uh, 40 is a significant number in the scriptures. Uh, we, We talked about this last week. Every time that you see 40, 40 days, 40 nights, 40 years uh, in the scripture, what that's signifying is a time of preparation, that God's people or God's servant is going through something. There's a hardship, a testing, but there's something in mind, right, that God is not wasting those moments. God is using whatever's going on to prepare God's people or God's servant for something amazing that's about to happen. So if you think about it, the people of Israel, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and then were able to go into the promised land. They were prepared and ready. Jesus was driven into the wilderness, it says, by the Spirit, where he was tested for 40 days and 40 nights, and then began his ministry. And so for those of us who journey uh, together in the season of Lent, um, we're kind of wandering a little bit uh, these 40 days as we uh, follow Jesus. And sometimes it's difficult to see where Jesus is leading us, even though we know that ultimately... Ultimately, where Jesus is heading in the season of Lent is the cross. And that's a difficult proposition for us, isn't it? You know, the idea that in this season, in this 40 days of wandering, that ultimately we're going to have to die to ourselves in order for something new to be reborn. And so in the midst of that, um, there can be some feelings of consternation. There can be some feelings of lostness uh, and aimlessness and not sure what's going on or what's happening around us. Sometimes during this sort of wintry trudge that's between, as I talked about last week, Advent and Epiphany and Easter itself, um, we can feel uh, a lot of things about the Almighty, questions that we might have, struggles that we might have, and prayers that we might offer up. And so the overarching image that we've used for this sermon series uh, is of a message in a bottle, the idea of calling out for rescue. You know, and there's a mystical and kind of romantic notion about putting a message in a bottle and casting it out into the ocean, kind of hoping beyond all hope that there's going to be an answer at some point, that someday, perhaps, as you're walking on the beach, that bottle is going to wash up and there'll be an answer inside of it. And so these messages do come to us, uh, you know, and, and maybe they don't come in our timetable and and the way that we would like for them to come, but the messages come. And what we're doing each and every week of this series is coming back to the idea that some of these messages are right there in the sacred text that we hold dear. And in fact, we're looking at the Psalms throughout the season of Lent, the lectionary text and Psalms that we would have been reading as part of our revised common lectionary. In fact, all over the world, Christians are going to be reading uh, the same text that we're learning from today. Last week, uh, we talked about Psalm 25 and how Psalm 25, that message in a bottle, revealed to us that we need to remember. We need to remember who we really are and who we are to God. Now today, our message is going to come to us from Psalm 22, verses 23 through 31. And the message that we're going to be receiving is how we need to revere God, to revere God. Now, many of us have questions Uh, this time of year and maybe we have questions all the time that have to do with wondering uh, sometimes what God is up to um, or whether God is there or 
whether God cares. I mean, there's all those questions that we have. Those are some of the bottles that we throw out um, and sometimes in desperation, right? In moments where we're feeling uh, a bit overwhelmed and out of control. Uh, And so the question that many of us ask, and it's a question that leads to other questions as we'll soon see, but the question that many of us ask as we stuff in our bottle and throw out is the question, what kind of God would fill in the blank, right? And you can fill in the blank however you like, and maybe you've filled in that blank on your own many times. What kind of God would allow that tragedy to happen to me and my family? What kind of God would allow that illness to strike me? What kind of God would allow my loved one to be taken from me unexpectedly? What kind of God would allow these shootings that seem to be happening all the time in schools, in Las Vegas, in churches right down the road from us, when innocent lives are taken, people's lives ruined, families torn apart? What kind of God would allow um, all of these natural disasters that seem uh, to be happening all the time, right? Hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes and fires. What kind of God would allow terrorist acts to happen? I mean, we ask those questions, right? And then we start to wonder, how then do I feel about that God? This God who seems to be beyond my comprehension, beyond my categories, beyond my little boxes of what I would like to have God in, how do I even feel about that God? Do I feel dread? Do I feel angry? Do I feel indifferent? Or do I feel fear, perhaps? Because God is beyond our comprehension. God is beyond our categories. The moment that we begin to try to describe God, we've already diminished the idea of God. And so there's this unexpectedness, this uncontrollable sort of aspect of God that Beth talked about. This God is not, according to C.S. Lewis from the Chronicles of Narnia, such a wonderful uh, story, all those stories... What did he say about Aslan, right? The lion that sort of stood as an example of God, Jesus, the Trinity itself, right? He said that Aslan is not a tame lion. And, and then, you know, C.S. Lewis was obviously talking about God, right? God is not tame. You know, our God is not safe. This God is other and beyond our comprehension. And so we have that out there, right, that we struggle with. But then, then we also have this other notion of God that we have experienced, perhaps, where we have experienced the great love and the great compassion and the presence of God, the imminence of God, that God is right near us, around us, in us, and through us. Maybe you have felt it so intensely that you knew that God was with you in a moment and you knew that you were loved that the tenderness of God was right there with you. We talked about this last week, right, that even those who may not believe in God, if you're struggling with an understanding of God, that you have a moment in your life that you can hold on to where you knew that something was happening, that someone actually somewhere was reaching out to you, and you're holding on to that. Maybe that's all you can hold on to at the moment. But each and every one of us have probably had that moment too. So how do we reconcile this? with this God that is so completely other that we don't understand, with a God that seems to be so near and so loving and kind and precious to us. Well, Psalm 22 helps us to understand this and speaks right into those questions. And the message that we're going to be uh, understanding today, the message that's coming to us, our message from a bottle, right? 
is a message that we are created to revere God. And most importantly, that reverence, reverence is the tension between our fearness and God's tenderness. Now, I'm shamelessly ripping off the idea of fearness from a pastor that I admire, um, but we're going to talk a little bit about fearness in a moment, uh, and we'll unpack that. But this is what reverence is. To revere God is, is to have reverence. And reverence for God is the tension between our fearness and God's tenderness. Now, just suffice to say that fearness is that understanding that I am not in control there's something going on, right? Uh, so we'll get back to that in a moment. This is also the psalm that begins with these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now those words are familiar to us, right? Because these are words that we know that Jesus spoke on the cross as he's dying and as he feels the loss of God, as he feels uh, sort of abandoned, right? Not just sort of abandoned, feels abandoned. Um, And that's an unbelievable thing for us to comprehend. God experiencing the loss of God. God asking the same questions that we ask. What kind of God would allow this? How do we feel about this God? And so the singer in Psalm 22 begins, begins the song by asking that question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is a psalm that is read at the Feast of Purim in the Jewish tradition. The Feast of Purim commemorates uh, the story of Esther. And it's a time when the people of God um, faced extermination, a Shoah, a Holocaust. They faced extermination, and because of Esther's bravery and because of God's intervention, they were rescued from that. So they were asking the question, Where are you? What kind of God would allow this? And then finally, at the end of the psalm, as we're going to see, things change. Because then the tenderness of God, the rescue of God, uh, is made evident. Now, let's read this psalm together. We're going to do it responsively. And so I'm going to read uh, what's light, the light print on the screen. And then you guys will read the print that's in yellow. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly before those who fear you. I will fulfill my vows. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Kind of awesome, isn't it? Isn't it funny, though, to read that part of the psalm and then know how it begins? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And then this part of it begins with these words, those who fear the Lord praise him. What do we mean by fear the Lord? The fear of the Lord is a, is a, um, a phrase that Christians love to bandy about, right? We've been doing it for a very long time. And for those of us who are sort of churchy, when somebody says the fear of the Lord, we sort of get it, right? We kind of know what that means. Um, but for those who may not be part of a church or may have not grown up in church, you may be thinking, what are, what's wrong with these people? Like, what are they talking about? Are they talking about being afraid of God? Um, are, they, are they talking about something else? And I think that Christians sort of struggle with this too. When I was growing up, I had uh, a passage of Scripture that I memorized when I was little. Uh, one of the first uh, memory verses that I ever had was Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know, and so at an early age, this was something that our faith tradition, they wanted us to know. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where you begin to understand the world is when you understand that the fear of the Lord is something you need to have. Now, I think a lot of Christians take this the wrong way. I think they take it where it has to be. The fear of the Lord as in dread. A dread, right? And I've had times in my life where I felt that way. Where I felt like because I have veered off the path, I could pretty much expect any moment to be smited. (laughs) Smite me, oh mighty smiter, right? So the fear of the Lord is, is sometimes taken in a, in a wrong direction. But to simply say and diminish this concept by saying, oh, it's just about being in awe and about feeling the wonder of God. There's an element of this that brings you to a point where your knees are knocking because you know that you are not in control that there's someone or something, if you're struggling to understand God, that's out there and they are in charge. So the fear of the Lord, that's something that's very important. But this whole passage sort of juxtaposes the idea of the fear of the Lord, this idea of wondering what kind of God is this, I don't understand, this is out of my control, to suddenly realizing that God is near, that God is close, that God doesn't despise or reject those who are afflicted. The tenderness of God is there. And so there's this tension that exists between those two things. And it's within that tension where reverence lives. Reverence exists between the tension of our fearness and the tenderness of God. And the singer here starts to explain, right? He proclaims, like, why uh, this is so? You know, like, what is going on here? And he talks about the, the, in, the intimacy of God here. He says, God did not hide his face from me. Now, isn't that interesting? Because if you're in the Hebrew tradition, right, if you're a, a, a Hebrew that's reading this, what you're going to think about immediately is what happened to Moses, right? That Moses, the greatest of all, uh, you know, the Jewish people, right, the giver of the law, right, that Moses couldn't even see the face of God, that Moses desired. He said to God, let me see your glory. And God went all Jack Nicholson on him and said, my glory, you can't handle my glory, right? All you can handle is just a little bit of my backside as I slide right by you, right? And even that messed up Moses. It gave him a high pro glow, man. He was radioactive. You know, like he was glowing and scared all the people. So the singer... High pro glow? Where did that come from? <laughs> All right. So the singer, is, the singer is using this sort of hyper, hy, uh, hyperbole, right, to, 
to say, this is how close God is. This is how near and tender God is to me, right? And then what does he do? He starts to praise. He starts to praise. And he says to everyone who fears the Lord, every one of you who's struggling, right? Every one of you who doesn't understand, who feels out of control, start praising, right? Because God is near. The tenderness of God is here. And then he says, this is extended to everyone, everywhere, to all people, to all nations, that all nations are going to get this, that one day all of this is going to be revealed. One day this, this sort of uh, lack of understanding of this God that is so completely other is going to, going to live in tension with this understanding of a God who is near and intimate and tender. And when you feel that, when you get it, you will praise. All of you will praise. Even those who are physically, emotionally, and spiritually left for dead, who are lifeless, those of us who are struggling even to raise our heads, to raise our spirits, to raise our emotions, we will praise. Those who haven't been born yet, generations yet to come, will praise. All people in all places in all times will praise when they get this. And then he says at the very end, he has done it. Isn't that an awesome way to end? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He has done it. Another way of interpreting that line is to say, He has accomplished it. He has finished it. So when Jesus on the cross says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His last words, his last words are, it is accomplished. Come on! <laughs> That's just out of the psalm, right? So let's say we're still struggling <laughs> to try to figure out how to take this and apply it to our life. You know, because some of us, like me, are, have a little bit harder head, right? That God has to keep sort of teaching these things, right? So, so I have to have practical stuff sometimes, you know? Like, I need to know, like, how do I practically do this? And so I think for us, if we're going to figure this out, if we're going to reconcile, and there's no way really to do that, but if we're going to attempt to live within the tension that exists as we try to reconcile this unknowing, uncontrollable, wild God with a God who is near and tender and who wants to rescue us, if we're going to reconcile these two things and live in the tension of that reconciliation, there's going to be something that will happen, right? There's something that's going to happen to us and through us and for us. And that something is that we're going to praise. But until we can get to that point, we need to practically understand some of these terms that we're talking about. And that one of those terms is the fearness, right? I've been talking a little bit about it and talking around it, but this is exactly what it is. I'm going to put it on the screen. The fearness is when you know that God is bigger than you are. I know that that sounds sort of counter, you know, it sounds like that's Captain Obvious kind of stuff, right? But for us to get that when we usually are the center of our own universe, to know that God is bigger than I am, when those moments happen, they can knock your knees. So once, uh, many, many years ago, uh, Meredith and I joined a small Presbyterian church. It was like the first church that we really got involved in. Um, they had about 80 people. 
And uh, somebody decided after, I mean, I literally had been a member maybe a month, and someone nominated me to be on the Christian Education Committee. We were, at the time, the youngest people in the whole church. And so they thought, well, let's get that young feller in there to, you know, do something. And I was young back then, not anymore. But at any rate, um, so I went to this meeting. I had no idea what to expect. Uh, I didn't know what this was about. And so I sit down, and they're talking about hiring a youth director. And so they revealed in the midst of this meeting that all they had to pay the youth director for an entire year was 8000 bucks, <laughs> And that there were only six kids. And I'd seen those kids, and they were miserable. <laughs> like, <laughs> they were miserable. They looked like, I mean, they, like they were just dragging themselves into church, you know, every Sunday. Um, they did not want to be there. And so I thought to myself, only a fool would take that job. <laughs> so here's what happened. So I'm sitting there thinking that, and then literally I felt hands on my shoulders. I'm not lying. On my shoulders. Like someone was standing behind me with their hands on my shoulders, and I, it's, I'm like, I heard a voice like in my head saying, you are applying for this job and so I don't remember what happened the rest of the meeting. I went home, and I was shaken and messed up. And I went to Meredith, and I said, I think I'm going to apply for this job that only pays $8,000 a year. <laughs> and I got it. <laughs> they were aiming low. So several years later, I'm off to seminary. Many, many years after that, I'm standing here in front of you today because that moment was one where I knew God was bigger than me, that I was being propelled in a way, in a place that I did not fully understand, and it was out of my control. Now, maybe you've experienced that or maybe not. Maybe you're one of those people, you're like, I've never had any kind of mystical thing like that. You know, that only happens to weirdos, right? But here's the thing. Even if that hasn't happened to you, all you have to do is take a look and study quantum physics and realize that there's an entire universe that is happening in mysterious ways below the surface of everything that is around us and within ourselves as well as we exchange energy from one to another in ways that science cannot understand. That scientists, quantum physicists are saying it's all a mystery in the end. We still, the more they go down the rabbit hole, the more they realize they don't know. When it comes to the universe, we look out in the universe and we see that there are millions and millions of galaxies, billions of solar systems, and it defies our imagination, the expanse of the universe and what we can see and what we can't see and what we don't understand. And so when you begin to comprehend that, even if you haven't had any kinds of moments where you've had hands on your shoulders or around your neck or whatever, you can at least say there's something going on that I don't get. There's something happening that is beyond my comprehension and beyond my control. And that is the fearness. That's the fearness. The fear of the Lord. When you suddenly begin to realize that God is bigger than you. The second thing is the tenderness. And the tenderness is when you know that God is nearer than you thought. When you know that God is nearer than you thought. When my mom... Um, was in her last days, uh, last couple of days of her life. 
Um, she went into a coma uh, and uh, slipped away pretty quickly after that. But um, when we knew that it was near, we knew that, that the time was running out. And so our family all gathered around and we were praying and we were talking to her and, and giving her our blessing uh, to step from this life into the next. Uh, there was a moment when I looked out the window, and I've written about this, but I, I looked out the window, and in the moment when I, I know that even though my mom's body hung around for a while, um, that her spirit was somewhere else. Because the moment that that happened, I am convinced, is when we looked out the window and then a cardinal appeared uh, on the bird feeder. And I hadn't seen cardinals in weeks. And that was my mom's favorite bird. You know, she loved watching those birds. And it wouldn't go away. It just sat there for the longest time. And, you know, you can call it what you will, call it coincidence. But in that moment, I knew, I knew that God was near. That in our moment of brokenness, that God's tenderness was being made known to us. Now, maybe in your life, you've had it happen in other ways. But you knew at some point that there was compassion that was surrounding you. You knew that there was something going on where you felt the overwhelming sensation of love that was filling your heart because, that, because of something that happened. Maybe somebody came to you and spoke a word at a right moment that was too weird to just be coincidence or that song that came on the radio or whatever it was that happened where you knew in that moment, even though you may not be able to explain it to other people coherently, you knew that that was God, and God was reaching out to you in tenderness in a moment when you needed it, and you knew that he was nearer than you thought. The fearness and the tenderness. See, well, you know this. You know this. You know what it's like to live in that tension, and here's the problem. If you don't live in that tension, if you choose just to choose one or the other, let's say you decide that you're going to go with the fear of the Lord, right? And there's lots of Christians that do that. They live only in that, that sort of unknowing. They live only in the fear side of things, and it can quickly turn to dread. And here's what happens. If you have none of the tenderness, right, and none of the grace and none of the love, and all it is is about judgment and so forth, then what quickly happens is either one of two things. You either run away from that and give up on it and walk away from God and church and everything, or you become rigid and fundamentalist. But if all you have, if all you're holding on to without any of that, if all you're holding on to is just the tenderness, it's easy to get muddled, right? And all of a sudden it's hard to see where you begin and God, be, and God ends. And, and maybe it's just all about what I can do in order to make myself happy and healthy and, happy and, and wise and so forth, right? So it, it really has to be both, to live in the tension of the fear and the tenderness, because in that moment what happens is you will praise. That's the evidence. The evidence of reverence is praise. When those moments when it doesn't make any sense, like, I don't know why I'm praising God, because everything's falling apart, because you're living in that reverence in between the fearness and the tenderness. I'm going to close with this. I've probably gone way over. I don't care. It'll just mean the annual meeting will be shorter. I know. What a drag, right? So are you, is it okay if I preach this a little bit more? Because i got a story I want to share with you, and I, and I, I really feel like I need to. Because I, sometimes I need examples of people who get this when I'm struggling to get it. Because I waver sometimes between those two, Right? And so when you see somebody that's just got that harmony, that's just got that tension down, that reverence down, 
boy, that's a beautiful example. And years ago, I was serving as a chaplain in a hospital, and I got called to a floor where this guy, uh, he was in a progressive care unit, and he was a frequent flyer, they called him. He was uh, paralyzed from the waist down. He had every malady you could think of. I mean, he had bad liver, bad heart, bad lungs, diabetes. I mean, it was, um, he was a wreck. And so they, they called and said, he wants to see you. So I, I go in, and I have never, he was easily the ugliest human being I've ever seen. I mean, when I, when I picture uh, what a leper must have looked like in, in the Bible, that's what this guy, I mean, he had sores, he stunk. I mean, it was, it was like walking in, I literally like, had to resist the urge to turn and run away. But then he began to speak, and he had to, they had to take out like breathing stuff in order for him to be able to talk to me. And when he began to speak to me, the beauty of what he said made all of that other stuff go away. He told me how blessed that he was. And he said this was the turning point for him. He had grown bitter over his lot in life when he was younger because he could not walk. He could not have a family. He couldn't have a life, at least in his context. He, he wasn't able to have any of those things. Uh, and, and he struggled, right? He struggled with that. And then he had a near-death experience where he had a vision in the, in the near-death experience where he was walking and he was upright and things were great. And then God told him in this vision that you're not done. I have stuff for you to do. I need you to go and I need you to be a blessing, to be a witness to others. And so when he came out of that near-death experience, it changed his life forever. And he said, every chance I get, all I want to do now is just demonstrate and show people the love of God and talk about my story. And so this is what he wanted to do for me. He said, I wanted to call you down here because I want to pray for you. You have a hard job, and I want to pray for you. And I was like, I'm taking my shoes off, man. I'm taking my shoes off because that was holy ground in that moment because that was humming humming with reverence as he praised this guy got it there is an unknowing uncontrollable God and sometimes you don't know why things happen but yet there's also this tenderness that exists that speaks to us and calls to us and demonstrates to us most of all that God has done it we are rescued sisters and brothers and that should make us praise. Hallelujah. Amen. Let us pray. God, we are grateful for this opportunity to be here as a, a whole family on this one worship service and to worship and praise together. And God, I pray that you would indeed help us as we wrestle with these notions of you the evidence that we have of your tenderness with the fearness that we also experience. God, I pray that we would live in the midst of that reverence, Lord, and the tension between that, and that you would teach us to praise, teach us to give voice to what you've done for us and for all of creation through your Son, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray these words that he taught <clears throat> his followers. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven.